This afternoon we'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. Where we read, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's sing in response to this reading from Psalm 90, stanzas 7 and 8. For the sermon this afternoon is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, where the Holy Spirit through the Apostle gives us this exhortation to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. As our amen to the proclamation of God's word, we will will respond afterwards 
by singing together from Psalm 127, stanzas 1 and 2. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, it's, I know it's the middle of January already, and maybe you've already forgotten about the year 2019, although I doubt it. We've had an opportunity now to look back at that year with 2020 vision. That's old news already, too. And when you look back... You might be asking yourself, what have I accomplished? Did I achieve my goals? And if you're tempted to judge yourself by the standards of this world, you might even ask yourself, were the things that I did even worth, worth it? Was it worth doing? After all, in many ways, nothing changes, right? The work is just the same old, same old every day again. The laundry piles up in the same way every week. And not always in the laundry room, but in the kids' rooms. Bills need to be paid. The oil change on your car needs to be done every three months. In many ways, things don't really change a lot from one year to the next. And in the grand scheme of things, it might even feel as if we're not accomplishing all that much. Of course, some of us do experience some pretty significant changes. You may have changed jobs. You may have lost a loved one. Maybe you graduated from high school or university or you were blessed with a child. So while things change, things also remain the same. And that can sometimes be a struggle. How ought we then to look ahead at next week, next month, and to the year ahead? What do we want to get out of it? What are we hoping for? What do we wish to achieve? And of course, there are many ways in which you can answer these kinds of questions, and I'm sure many of you could come up with profoundly biblical answers, good answers to these questions. But this afternoon, we are going to answer these questions from the perspective of of what the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonian Christians. Here in our text, the Apostle tells us what Christians should aspire to. But before we get to the nitty-gritty of what the Apostle is saying here, we should first remind ourselves of the basis on which Paul feels compelled to call us to live quietly. And clearly the basis for any call to Christian living is the love of God. God's love for us. The Apostle John, for example, uses love as one of the identifying marks of what it means to be a genuine Christian. In 1 John chapter 4, he makes this clear. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So whoever does not know God in this way does not know what true love is, does not know how to love. And then he goes on to explain that God first loves us and sent His Son into this world to be our Savior, to be the one who atones for our sins. 
Love is not in the first place our response to God, but it is God's initiative toward us. Beloved, if God so loved us, he writes, we also ought to love one another. And if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So becoming a Christian then is becoming a partaker in God's love, becoming a partaker of the divine nature, as we read in 2 Peter chapter 1. But here, in this passage, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we read that we are being taught by God. Now concerning brotherly love, Paul writes, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In other words, the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit, and it is because we have been given the Spirit of God that we are being taught by God. The Spirit is at work in our lives. The Spirit uses our intellect, bends our intellect to bring us to a spiritual understanding. The Spirit applies the truth of God's Word so that it sinks in. He teaches us that we are adopted and regenerated and given the nature of Christ. And therefore, we ought to love one another because God has revealed His love for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the purpose for which we show our love is that God's love may be revealed to others through us. We become conduits of God's love. Of course, we all know that already, right? That's what Paul writes to the Thessalonians, doesn't he? In one sense, he's saying, I don't need to write this to you. I don't need to write about this. After all, you've been taught by God to love one another. But then he adds, yet I urge you to do it more and more. See, that's the key. Earlier, the passage says, it's sanctification is our goal. So more and more, that's what that means. I want to make sure you are loving and increasing in love. And how is this love to be expressed? Well, it's to be expressed in the way you live. By living quietly, minding your own business, and working with your hands. So God's love compels us to love one another. That's the theme for the sermon. God's love compels us to love one another. And that love is then expressed, as I already mentioned, that we ought to live quietly, mind our own affairs, work with our hands, so that we may walk properly before others. Well, why the command to live quietly? What kind of people does Paul have in mind with this exhortation? Because the the command sounds a little bit like like an oxymoron aspire to live quietly, right? Make it your ambition to have no ambition, it almost sounds like. But that's really what makes the point. And of course, Paul's not talking about ambition. But the issue is about causing restlessness and disturbance. And why would I say that? Well, it would appear from information that we also gather from the second letter to the Thessalonians, that the prospect of the return of Jesus Christ, to which Paul also comes to at the end of chapter 4 here, that this prospect was so filling the minds of many believers that that's the only thing they focused on. They were so focused on that they couldn't get on with anything else in life. 
They had become fanatical about this one point of Christian doctrine. And then they did, just couldn't get off that bandwagon. And they perhaps were not completely wrong in their thinking, but when one thing becomes an overemphasis, it does become wrong. And so Paul's exhortation to them is, quiet down, be quiet, settle down. You may not become the cause for unrest in the congregation. One commentator puts it this way, Paul means for Christians to maintain peace, to live peacefully and without disturbance, without a lot of noise. Paul is urging believers to live peaceable and tranquil lives. Make it your aim to lead a quiet life. If you want to get excited about something, get excited about being quiet. And secondly, about minding your own affairs. Mind your own business. Don't be a nosy person. We're commanded to love one another. And love is not just a nice fluttery feeling in your stomach. Love is not poking your nose into everybody's business either. There's a big difference between what Paul commands in Philippians chapter 2, that we should put the interests of others before our own, and having this compulsive itch to know everything that's going on in the life of your neighbor. I read somewhere that this is called the what about him syndrome. What about him? An expression comes from John 21, 21. There we read that Jesus was talking to the apostle Peter, and Jesus was explaining to Peter what was going to happen towards the end of his life. And then Peter sees the apostle John walking by, and Peter says to Jesus, well, what about him? And Jesus basically tells him, that's none of your business. So nosiness is a sin, right? Some of us are so preoccupied with the things that might be going on in someone else's life that we're not able to live the life that we're called to. So love is expressed then in quietness and in the absence of nosiness. Because nosiness leads you to neglect your own calling and your own duty. Each of us ought to be intent on fulfilling the duties of our own calling and staying within our own limits. Because as soon as you become nosy and meddlesome, you cause chaos and disorder. And of course, Paul doesn't mean that we should not be paying attention to the lives of others. We should not mind our own business in such a way that we live separate lives. Of course not. We must care for one another. But Paul is warning in particular those whose tendency it is to be idle and nosy. So we ought to live quiet lives in our own homes and in our own family circles. Then he adds that we ought to work with our hands. Now why, was, why is this? Well, manual labor was not highly regarded by the Greeks. But the Apostle Paul certainly does not hesitate to call believers to this kind of endeavor. We can read that elsewhere in Scripture as well, Ephesians chapter 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In other words, earn your own bread. And go push a wheelbarrow, or pound some nails, or fix cars, or clean houses. Whatever you do, do something. And Paul modeled this in his own life. And he reminds the Thessalonians of this in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, where he writes, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, 
We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Again, it seems that some amongst the Thessalonians were so preoccupied with the thought of the return of Christ that besides causing unrest about their pet theories, they also became idle, and instead of become, being busy, they became busy bodies. And in the second letter to that church, Paul writes, Such people we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Some of them had the idea, well, the Lord Jesus is going to return soon, so let's just sell all that we have. But then soon they became poor, and then they became dependent on the congregation to care for them. But we are called to live a quiet life, to mind our own business and pay our own bills. That's Christian love. God's love for us is the foundation of this love. But that love is expressed, Paul says, in these things, to live quietly, mind your own business, and pay your own bills. These three things are the expression of that love. And then we come, in the fourth place, to the purpose for this love. And why is the Holy Spirit concerned for us that we would know that he should that we should know this? Well, the Spirit is concerned because our behavior ought to reflect God's love. And as a result of this kind of behavior that's described by the Apostle, your daily life may then win the respect of outsiders, and you will not be dependent upon anyone. Because you see, brothers and sisters, for each one of us, the challenge is your life is a story. And every day of your life is a chapter in the story of your life. How does your story read? That's the question. By the deeds you do and the things you say, you are telling a story that others can read. What gospel story are you telling with your life? That's the question. What is the gospel according to your life? Because, the Apostle says, the world is watching you. The world is watching us where we live. Here in Elora, too. Of course, to a large degree, the world doesn't understand what's going on inside this building. The world doesn't understand why we come together, why we support Christian education. But they are able to understand a transformed life. They are able to understand the story of your life. They can see it. Right? How you do your business, how you treat your employees, how you treat your children, how faithful you are in the ordinary things of life. The world understands that. You see, the gospel is not simply to be proclaimed with your lips, but it is to be proclaimed with your life. It is to be adorned with a godly life. And nosiness does not adorn the gospel. And laziness does not adorn the gospel. And getting unnecessarily and fanatically preoccupied with a particular area of Christian doctrine does not adorn the gospel. If your friends can't even enjoy, enjoy your company, 
because every time you start talking about your pet peeves and your hobby horses, you're not adorning the gospel. So what should we conclude from this? Because after all, work and life can occupy everything. It can occupy so much of our energy just to get through the day. It can sometimes occupy all of our energy. And work can be frustrating. We can easily get fed up with doing the same things over and over again. But the world is watching. The world is waiting to see whether or not all this talk about Jesus really makes a difference. And it's important to keep that in mind. Again, when people drive up and down the road here, they don't have a clue what's going on. Maybe some of them do. But for all they know, the minister's a snake charmer and we're all snake worshippers. So how in the world are the people out there supposed to know and find out what the gospel is? How are they supposed to come to terms with the claims of the Christian gospel, with the exclusive claim of Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life? How are they supposed to understand that unless we adorn the gospel with a Christian walk of life? with a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Lord. You see, unless my daily life wins the respect of my unbelieving neighbor, there's not a a big chance that he or she will ask me about the hope that is within me. And they will have very little reason to ask me about the love of Christ. So that's the first purpose of living quietly minding your own business and working for a living, the impact it makes on outsiders. Secondly, this kind of life also has an impact on insiders. If you make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and work with your hands, you will not only win the respect of outsiders, but also those of, who are inside the church because you won't be dependent on anyone. And of course, it is an expression of love to help those who are in need The Bible is very clear that we need to love the needy. And this, by God's grace, is what we do also here in this church. At the same time, however, it is also an expression of love to support oneself so as not to be in need. That's the point Paul's making here. It's an expression of love to work hard and earn your own paycheck. We're not talking about people who are unable to work or can't work or can't find work We're not talking about them, but about those who don't want to work. And boys and girls, that starts at home. Do the jobs that dad and mom ask you to do, and do them well. If your homework is always a disaster and handed in late, and if your bedroom's always a mess, and you only do half a job when dad and mom ask you to do something, you are not adorning the gospel. And think about what kind of a reputation you have and want to have. You should work hard so that you don't have to depend on your parents or anyone else to fix your poor reputation. But we're also called to work hard so that we will not be dependent on anyone. This is about financial independence. 
How many of us are truly financially independent, free from debt, and free from the fear of having too much month at the end of the money? This has a lot to do with our expectations. It's hard to be financially independent if you are always living beyond your means. And so being dependent on no one then actually has a lot to do with being content, doesn't it? And scripture says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Really? Would you be content if you just had food and clothing? That's a pretty convicting statement, isn't it? Would you be content if you could never go on vacation again? If you could never play another game of hockey or golf, it's my favorite. We live in a culture that tells us that all the stuff and the opportunities for leisure that we can accumulate and, and do, all this is a requirement for contentment. You can't be content unless you have what you want. You can go where you want and you can do what you want and eat what you want. The world tells you that you deserve all this to, and that's the only way to be content. So what are our conversations like at home and what are they about? Do your children know that you are content? How do your kids see you? Might be an interesting conversation around the dinner table this evening. Might be an eye-opener. Might be a little scary, too. And how do your neighbors see you? Do you show that you are content in the church? And content with your life? Content to work with your hands? Content with minding your own business? And brothers and sisters... As I also said to my own congregation when I preached this sermon there, the point is not, I'm not trying to throw everybody under the bus collectively or individually. But this is what our text is, is telling us. And this is the principle. If you want to know about brotherly love, you need to know what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And if you want to know about this brotherly love, you need to know how this love is exp- to be expressed. The love of God in us expresses itself by the way we live quietly, minding our own business and getting a job. And then then we want to know what kind of impact that, that expression of love has. We want to know that, that we will have an impact so, so that others will want to know the difference that Jesus makes in your life. And that you will not be dependent on others. And so that gives us that gives us a vision, 2020 vision for how we ought to live the Christian life. Does it not? What you want to get out of it, what you hope for, what you want to achieve, what your goals are. How should we live so that our life will have real meaning and purpose? 
How shall we live so that God's goal for us, sanctification, will be fulfilled, that we will continue to grow and grow? Well, we find the answer to that in the love of God, which is expressed in the love that we show to others. And so we are simply called to live an ordinary Christian life. God does not ask that you live a spectacular life, but He asks that you live a life that's pleasing to Him. And if you really think about it, that's spectacular enough already, isn't it? Because following Jesus Christ, that's radical. That's much more radical than what we usually think. And maybe, maybe you don't feel all that special because you think your life isn't that special. Right? There's many days when we're just happy to get through the day. I survived another day. I managed to get through this day, through this week. You're happy you just managed to survive. And maybe your life is not very exciting, right? It's just ho-hum, ho-hum. Here we go again, right? Same thing every day. Wiping snotty noses, sorting out the laundry, sweeping the floor, driving to work down the same road every day. Maybe you even have the same parking spot every day. And there are many things in life that just have to be done. But these things aren't very spectacular, and they're not very romantic either. The ordinary things in life are just that. They're just ordinary. And yet... Yet, brothers and sisters, in your ordinary life and in your ordinary work, you have been given an extraordinary opportunity. Because you can choose to be either disruptive or to live quietly. You can choose to be nosy or you can choose to be helpful. You can choose to be lazy or you can choose to work hard. And as we heard this morning, you can choose to complain or you can choose to give thanks. You can choose to be friendly or rude. You can choose to be kind or unkind. You can choose to be joyful or angry. And all of this has an impact on everyone around you. You see, God does not call you to live a spectacular life. But he calls you to live an impactful life. His love to impact others through you. Your life to impact others for good. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be occupied with feelings of inferiority just because we live an ordinary life. Just because we maybe aren't famous or we're not rich. Your life is special because you are in Christ. You belong to Him. And because of that, your life has an impact on your spouse, on your children, on your parents, on your siblings, on your neighbors, and on your brothers and sisters in the Lord. What kind of an impact would you like to have? tomorrow, next week, for the rest of your life. And remember, as we heard this morning, it is the Lord who enables us to live this impactful 
Christian life. We do not do so in our own strength. He gives strength to the weak. He enables us to run the race. So let's expect that from him. Pray for that. And thank him for what he gives you. Amen.